to the lightning round. Dave Kirshner Lightning Round Podcast. This is episode 25. I am your host, <laughs> the slightly unstable Dave Kirshner. It is week 39 in the 46th Quadrennial Hunger Games. Oh, Nelly. So, for those of you that don't know, and, you know, you're listening to the podcast, you're like, what is up with that music? That is my, (laughs) that's the theme song to the TV show Jackass. And that is the music I use to kick off the installed president's jackassery minute. I refuse to say his name. I'm going to see how long I can hold out. So far, it's been three weeks. Anywho, uh, so last week I uh, uh, I did a decent job of limiting my jackassery minute to about 25 minutes or so, eh, roughly 30 maybe, give or take. Anyway, um, so things I want to talk about today. So there was an interesting little article I read about OSHA, and if you remember, OSHA is the federal agency that the Installed administration, I almost tripped up, I almost said it. The installed administration is using to force these vaccine mandates. And what I found to be most interesting was an article that called out, um, okay, so we're going to talk about OSHA first, and then we're going to talk about um, uh, supply chain stuff, new information is coming to light about that, uh, HR 127, and um, there's some some things still going on about uh, the U.S. Uh, defaulting and the debt ceiling and things like that. So we're going to try and cover those. I'm going to try and do as quickly as I can, give you as much information as I can, uh, and then move on to uh, the preparedness topic for this week. So up first is uh, OSHA. Um, it turns out, okay, so the feckless installed administration is forcing um, federal agencies and any private companies over 100 employees to uh, mandate vaccinations. A large number of these corporations are now telling the installed administration to go pound sand. My wife hates that phrase, by the way, but I use it all the time. Go pound sand basically means F off. Get to stepping, brother. I ain't doing what you're saying, so bugger off. That's basically what I mean when I say, go pound sand, buddy. Let me know how that turns out. Anyway, the administration is using OSHA to force these vaccine mandates. Now you have large airlines. Uh, they're saying, no, we're not going to do it. Uh, there are 
restaurants that are pulling out of major cities because they refuse to be the vaccination police. In and Out Burger over in San Francisco is one of them. Uh, a little side note there. Uh, all of these states that have these crazy laws about uh, shoplifting no longer being a felony until you reach a much higher dollar amount threshold for stolen goods, guess what they're doing? They're closing their doors. They're getting out of these crap hole neighborhoods and cities and they're sticking to the suburbs where these laws don't apply. So, once again, the left is, you know, hey, look at that. Oh, I just stepped on a landmine. I'm missing my leg from the knee down. Oh, look at that, another landmine. I blew off the other leg. Ah, now I'm crawling. A landmine. Oh, I blew off my arm. Ah, they're doing this to themselves, and they wonder what's going to happen in 2022 and 2024. You got people, pundits, liberal pundits, saying if the left doesn't step away from all of this socialist nonsense and progressive crap, they will never win an election again. These are liberal pundits. And the people that they're talking to are agreeing with them. And they're liberal commentators. The writing's on the wall. These people see it and they refuse to acknowledge it because they don't want to upset Ilion Omar and AOC and Bernie, his Bernie bros. This is, it, keep on going, guys. Just keep going. Because I would love to see 8 to 16 years of Republican control in this country from the White House all the way to the lower chamber of commerce and the House of Representatives. That would be awesome. We've already got the bulk of the state legislatures and governorships but these guys, I mean, they're going for broke. They're putting all their eggs in that basket. And every one of them eggs is going to wind up on the ground in a scrambled, heaping mess. But anywho, OSHA is being used by this administration to enforce their vax mandates. Hey, if you want to get the vaccine, go get it. If you don't want to get it, don't get it. Is it the, well, I don't know why this has to be political, but they made it political. To me, I don't necessarily want it. I equate it to a flu shot. But, you know, if if getting the vaccine means that if I contract the Delta variant, because the vaccine's been coded to only work on the original strain of... of, of uh, the vaccine's only been coded to work on the original strain of COVID. It's not been coded to work on the Delta variant, which is what our people are getting when they have... Full vaccination, like Colin Powell. He got COVID. How'd, the, how'd that happen? I thought it was a vaccine. It's not. It's a flu shot. Anyway, you want to get it? Go get it. You don't want to get it? Don't get it. You want to go out in public and wear a mask? Knock yourself out. You don't want to wear it? Don't. But, hey man, choice is yours. It used to be a free country. But, OSHA... They're out here putting things up on their website, which calls into question uh, some very interesting things. Um, quote, OSHA does not want to give any suggestion of discouraging workers from receiving COVID-19 vaccination 
or to disincentivize employers' vaccination efforts. The agency's website says on a 6,400-word page, page titled Protecting Workers' Guidance on Mitigating and Preventing the Spread of COVID-19 in the Workplace. As a result, OSHA will not enforce 29 CFR port, Part 1904's recording requirements to require any employers to record workers' side effects from COVID-19 vaccination at least through May 2022. Okay, so they're encouraging people to go get it, but they're not going to record if anybody had any adverse side effects from the vaccine. I Personally, I find this to be rather ridiculous because uh, my wife and both my daughters are vaccinated. Um, they chose to be. And both my daughters had COVID. My wife did not. And my youngest daughter had the worst reaction to contracting COVID. She was basically in bed for four days. Uh, felt like she had the flu. You know, she was achy. She was tired. Um, my oldest daughter basically slept for three days. Um, and then she was fine after that. And when they got vaccinated, those symptoms came back. Getting the vaccine made them sick. Returned to the, the achiness, the tiredness. My wife felt pretty much wiped out uh, as well. She had never contracted COVID but got the vaccine because she's a school teacher. And that's what she chose to do. So, they're, they're, for some reason, they're trying to hide any sort of adverse reaction to getting the COVID vaccine. That, that, that just doesn't seem kosher to me. Uh, this article actually concludes with, It isn't up to, quote, experts, end quote, and the elites to decide which truths the American people are allowed to hear. And that's true. If you get the shot, go get the shot. If you have an adverse side effect, like achiness, tiredness, if it lasts for 8 hours, 12 hours a day, um, you know, that kind of stuff should be recorded so that they can tweak the vaccine to tweak that COVID flu shot, basically. But if they don't. They don't want to record that. They're, they're still going through all of the death certificates where they inaccurately reported that person having died from covid when they didn't, they simply had COVID in their body, but it was actually, you know, lung cancer that killed them, but they don't want to report that. They want to say, oh, COVID was in the body, therefore COVID is what killed them. That That's wrong. That's not true. And, and now people and these agencies that are doing the reporting, health organizations, whatever, they're all having to go back in and change their numbers to remove those people that died from other things. Um, other than COVID, because they're lying, and we caught them lying, just like in the election. I mean, seriously, this is this is no joke. They had people that came into the hospital and died of a gunshot wound, but they classified it as a COVID death because they had COVID in their body. It's that kind of crap. That's what I'm talking about. But OSHA doesn't want to 
doesn't want to uh, uh, document the system, the symptoms that you encounter uh, when you get the shot. And it just does not seem logical to me that if you're going to push something as hard as the left has been pushing this, that you wouldn't want all of the empirical data that you could get your hands on so that you could make adjustments to your to your vaccine, to your to your flu shot, whatever it is. That um, just seems ridiculous. And, you know, in, in a related topic, uh, you know, since we're talking about COVID and OSHA and mandates, um, you know, it couple, you take that crap that the left has been trying to cram down our throats for nearly a year and a half. It's almost coming up on two years. I think we're, what are we, six months away from two year mark where we're supposed to flatten the curve. But, uh, but you take all the crap that the left has been doing, you know. So starting in March of 2020, all the crap they did uh, against Trump because he's he, he's mean tweeter. He says mean things, eh, uh, whatever. Um, but you take all that crap, you you throw in uh, all of the stuff that uh, parents are now learning about the education system that they thought that they could trust. And you get what we have in Virginia, where the, the Virginia governor's race happens in off-election years. So as to not, I don't know, compete with the presidential election or, um, I don't know. But that's just what, I don't know why they do it, but that's just the way Virginia does it. But there's uh, 12 days... Uh, I'm reading this article here. Oh, oh no, next week. Okay, so this article is a little bit dated, but um, the race as of the summer showed the incumbent McAuliffe. I don't McAuliffe. I don't know how to say his name. It's spelled weird. Um, he was up by five ten points in the summer. Then parents started finding out about how they were jerking around with the education. And they started asking questions. And there were vax mandates. And there were all kinds of other things specific to Virginia that were taking place. But now, the Republican challenger, Youngkin, he's pulled even. So there is a distinct possibility... That Virginia, at least the governor's office, could flip from blue, dark, dark blue, to red. See, here's the, here's the problem with Virginia. So, the western half of the state, 100% Republican. But there aren't that many people that live there. It's in the foothills of the mountains, uh, of the Appalachian Mountain Range. Uh, most of the population lives in Northern Virginia because they're all federal employees, basically. Um, and then you've got uh, clusters of people in and around Richmond and Norfolk. So, and Norfolk is a, a military town. See, you know, it's a naval base down there. Um, but, you know, it, it, the funny thing is, what, what I'm reading is that the reason that Yunkin is drawing uh, even with McAuliffe 
um, is because of moms, suburban moms that are finding out more and more about this crap in the education system that they are not voting Democrat. They are not keeping this guy. Plus, McAuliffe also was on the record saying, we're, you know, the education department is the arbiter of all things knowledge-based, and parents should just shut up. It's basically what he said. I, I can't find the direct quote. But he basically came out and said, it's not your job as a parent to educate your children. And the suburban moms are like, F you, buddy. Guess what? <laughs> You're not getting reelected. So all of these independents and these these suburban soccer moms, um, they're they're leaving, uh, at least according to the polls. But you know, the polls, as we saw in 2016 and again in 2020, polls don't amount to a hill of beans because they're ne- they never seem to be right. So I don't know. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. I'd throw that in there. Um, so let's turn our attention to the supply chain. So basically, um, uh, I found an article at uh, the Heritage Foundation. And uh, basically, the, the author went in and, and said, look, this has absolutely nothing to do with COVID. This has everything to do with government. Specifically, the feckless administration that was installed in a uh, 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 rather contested um, election. Let's just leave it at that. And <laughs> there, and I'm going to say his name now, just because I thought it was funny. Um, uh, <laughs> as a, you know, uh, the the chance that are breaking out at sporting events, you know. F Joe Biden or let's go Brandon is what everybody's saying it now because of the reporter at the NASCAR race. That was funny. That thing's not going to die. That reporter's never going to live that one down. But uh, they're, they're now referring to um, this administration as an absent administration. And they are now calling uh, this knucklehead that doesn't know what day of the week it is. To, oh my goodness, he had a press conference and he rambled for 15 minutes. That guy is not there. Um, but they're now referring to him as Bear Shelves Biden. I said it. Look, I said it. Okay, it took me three weeks, but I said it. But I won't say it again, damn it. You can't make me. So, uh, it's just... It, it, here. Here's the difference, okay? So, under Trump, um, I mean, everybody knows that he's pretty much tireless. He's very... Uh, He's got he's, hyperactivity is a good word to describe him. Um, so when the supply chain started uh, slowing down, uh, Trump was out there saying, what do you need? What's in the way? Uh, is there bureaucratic red tape? Uh, what, what is going on? And then, help, you know, help me to help you. Tell me what's going on. But you take this administration, and they aren't even asking the questions. They don't care. I did find out something interesting, that um, under the Trump administration, um, or actually before the Trump administration, during the Obama years, they allowed China to have a controlling interest in 
the operations at the Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Long Beach. Trump came in and he was like, that's ridiculous. What are you doing? So he cleaved China out of a controlling interest at the, the Port of Long Beach, but didn't get it accomplished fully at the Port of Los Angeles. So now we've got the Chinese that are, they're, you know, they're totally doing it. They're, they're screwing things up. They're doing things down there. Um, but I, I, I find it interesting, right? So they say, oh, we're working uh, 24-7. And that's, that's not true. They're running one crane out of six 24-7. But then the government of, and this administration had to go in on, on bended knee and kiss the union ring for the longshoremen to get them to even do that. This is getting ridiculous. So, I, I, all right, I've talked about supply chains and ports and crap long enough, but here's something that'll just kind of put it in perspective for you. So you've got the gatekeeper to the installed administration, head honcho, his name's Ron Klain, Klain, K-L-A-I-N. And then you've got the mouthpiece, Jen Tzatziki Sauce Pazaki. Um, they, they and this administration are showing you just how much their disdain for the non-elites, the non-coastals. So anybody in America's heartland, anybody that's blue-collar, anybody that's actually doing something to make this country go forward, they do not like you. They do not trust you. They do not want to do anything for you. So you have a Harvard econom economist, economist and former Obama administration official Jason Furman. He tweets out, most of the economic problems we're facing, inflation, supply chains, etc., are high-class problems. We wouldn't have had them if the employment rate, unemployment rate was still 10%. We would instead have had a much worse problem. To which White House Chief of Staff Ron, I'm just going to say Klan, because they're, they're basically, I'm just going to call them Ron Klan, um, he retweets it and says this with two down, down arrows. And he's basically endorsing that. Okay, great. Um, so what exactly do they think we would have been better off doing if unemployment was at 10%? Then they're at... Um, basically, what he just did is a message... And they're basically telling us how little they care about Americans, how little they care about the supply chain crisis. Um, and basically, you have no idea how bad things are about to get, is what they're telling us. Then you got Tzatziki Sauce. She comes out and says, oh shoot, where did it go? Well, I, I don't know. Basically, what they're saying to us through the chief of staff and through the mouthpiece 
that is Pazaki, is basically you're only noticing supply chain problems because you've never had it so good. That's what they're telling us. That's what they're telling you. <sighs> oh, what a... This administration is a complete and utter joke. I, I cannot wait for them to be voted out or impeached. Oh, I would... Oh, it would be happy days indeed if Republicans can take the House and Senate in 2022 and then impeach this idiot and some of his staff and some of the Joint Chiefs. What a joke this entire feckless administration is. I really, really hope and pray. My God, I've never prayed so much in my life as to have the hand of the Almighty fix this, uh, this abomination. Oh, it would be happy days indeed. I will be up. All night on election night watching those tallies. Oh, man. And I have one more thing. Speaking of, of, of school boards, there was a, there's a local school. Well, all of these school boards uh, are under fire for the, for the way that they've been behaving and the things that they're trying to teach. Um, but there's a local one up in, uh, there's another suburb of Columbus called Olentangy. Um, it's far north, east, west, northwest, eh, north, whatever. Um, so there are two moms running for this school board. And they're running because the school, their classes, their teachers are basically not following defined policy. Particularly when it comes to uh, presenting controversial topics. Uh, this one woman... Uh, who's running. She has a seven-year-old kid in second grade. And so she's listening in on a Zoom call, and uh, they come to find out that uh, the teacher uh, had them do a transgender quiz to see if anybody wanted to switch genders or if they felt confused. And they're seven. They're seven years old and in second grade. Anyway, Olin Tangy's got a policy in place to handle all of these things. That, you know, the teacher needs to present it to their department head. And then the two of them, if they agree, need to present it to the pres uh, principal or some facsimile thereof. Uh, parents, I think, are supposed to be notified. And, you know, the lesson needs to be age appropriate. And all of these things, these steps. And, and they're well thought out steps. And some of these teachers are not following that, that policy because these teachers are more interested in being activists than they are in being educators. And this is no more evident than when you go into your teacher's classroom and they have a BLM flag, or they have a Che Guevara, you know, flag, or they have a, a gay pride flag. You see any one of those flags, you can ask to have it removed because that is a political stance. It is. So, in theory, you should be able to ask to have them removed. Uh, and you can make specific requests to not have the teacher's agenda being pressed upon you. So, or your child, I should say. Um, that's the way it's supposed to work. But the education system has gone unchecked for so long, they think they're entitled to do whatever the hell they want. And now they're being called into question. And 
So this lady is running for a local school board, and a law professor from Ohio State, so it's local, um, came out and said, don't vote for her, she's a white supremacist. She's a soccer mom who didn't like her kid being questioned about transgender thought processes in second grade. So anything the left does not like, their little dog whistle is to slap the Nazi label on you or to slap the white supremacist label on you. I think now they're going with white supremacists because they overuse Nazis so much during four years of Trump's presidency. So this is a little, this is a soccer mom. She's got a deceased child. She's got another one in second grade. And she's Latino. White supremacist. This is the kind of crap that people are going to have to wade through to right this wrong. To get the control of the education system back into capable hands that aren't attached to an activist. With an agenda. Oh, it's a crazy, crazy mess. <sighs> All right, so let's uh, let's change topics here. What's uh, HR one twenty seven? So, <laughs> uh, I honestly, I don't think this has a snowball's chance in Hades of becoming law, <clears throat> but. On January 4th of 2021, so Trump is still president, um, just, uh, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, well that should tell you everything you need to know, but here's the thing I don't get, she introduces this Firearm Licensing and Registration Act, and she's from Texas, what is going on in Texas? How did it ever produce somebody who hates guns and gets them elected to the House of Representatives? That is, I don't get it. It's beyond me. But anyway, so she introduced this uh, bill, and it's in a subcommittee um, for... It's in the, the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Crime... Terrorism and Homeland Security. Oh, Nelly. All right, so let's get to it. So here's here's a summary that's on the uh, congress.gov website. And it says, this is the summary that they wrote. Um, CRS is the author of the summary. And CRS is... CRS is the Congressional Research Service of the Library of Congress, and it works exclusively for the United States Congress. So they're the ones that wrote up this summary, basically highlighting what's in the bill. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven key points. And they are, this bill establishes a process for the licensing and registration of firearms. It also prohibits the possession of certain ammunition and large-capacity ammunition feeding devices. Heaven forbid they actually use the right word, which is magazine, but whatever. Number two is the uh, 
Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives must establish, one, a licensing system for the possession of firearms or ammunition, and two, a registration system for firearms. So you got to register it, and you got to get a license now, apparently. Number three, in addition, the Department of Justice must establish and maintain a publicly available database of all registered firearms. No, that's not a good, that's not a bad idea at all. You know, let's, let's have a publicly available searchable database that says, here's where all the guns are. That's genius. What an idiot. Number four, and this one's kind of lengthy. The bill creates licensing requirements for the possession of a firearm and ammunition. The DOJ shall issue such a license if the individual is 21 years or older, undergoes a criminal background check and psychological evaluation, completes a certified training course, and has an insurance policy. It also outlines the circumstances under which the DOJ must deny a license, e.g., the individual was hospitalized with a mental illness. <laughs> uh, so I've got to register it. I got to get a license. I got to have insurance for it. And I got to pass a background check, which I do now, a psychological check, which I don't have to do now, a certified training course, only if I'm going to get a concealed carry license. What a. Anyway, number five. It establishes additional requirements for an antique firearm display license and a military-style weapons license. Military-style weapons license. That 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 smells like the 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 mean black AR-15s and the AR-10 style. <laughs> Whatever. Number six. The bill generally prohibits and penalizes the possession of a firearm or ammunition unless the individual complies with licensing and registration requirements. Further, it prohibits the transfer of a firearm or ammunition to an unlicensed person. <laughs> Number seven. This is their summary, not mine. Finally, it generally prohibits and penalizes, one, the possession of ammunition that is 50 caliber or greater, and two, the possession of a large capacity ammunition feeding device. So large capacity magazines they're talking about. So... I, I was alerted to that by a buddy of mine because he knows that uh, before COVID, I was working on getting my um, my certification so that I could do um, concealed carry classes, both uh, NRA certified and um, non-NRA certified classes. So um, the problem is now the gun ranges are opening up, but the price of ammunition is still too high. So I have, I have plenty of ammunition, um, but my problem is I won't be able to replace it once I fire it because it's too expensive, um, which is making me looking, making me look at uh, reloading because, uh, damn, it's expensive to get a fifty-round box of ammo, uh, particularly nine millimeter, which is uh, the Glock that I use for the for the training. And, you know, it just, it's, it's become a problem. Um, so, inevitably, of course, the, the NRA put out um, some counterpoints. Basically, they went through the whole bill um, 
And so they they put in a, a summarized bulleted list of what that actually means. So uh, to start off with, um, H.R. 127 would ban common types of ammunition, including every shotgun shell larger than a 410. <laughs> That's a problem because even if you wanted to fo- wanted to follow this uh, this feckless administration, this, this, this installed Yahoo. If you wanted to follow his advice and keep a double barrel shotgun, that's a 12 gauge. That'd be illegal. <laughs> what a dummy. Um, hunting whitetail deer would be legally impossible in at least 10 States. Um, it is, uh, violations of this ban would result so if you didn't turn on all of your shotgun shells and ammo over that's 50 cal or greater, um, you would be uh, fined at least $50,000 and uh, threatened with imprisonment of at least 10 years. These are mandatory penalties that don't even apply to some of the most violent crimes in the country. Uh, in, including torturing somebody to death. <sighs> what a how freaking stupid is this? Um, let's see. The next point was HR one twenty seven would force Americans to l- relinquish hundreds of millions of firearm magazines with no compensation. Uh, and what they say is that the bill states that it's unlawful for any person to possess a large-capacity ammunition feeding device and defines such devices to include those that can be readily restored or converted to accept more than 10 rounds of ammunition, excluding certain integral 22 rimfire magazines. Oh, good Lord, I think every one of my magazines is over <laughs> 10 rounds. <laughs> Oops. Uh... Industry production figures show that there are hundreds of millions of 11-plus round magazines. (laughs) Uh, As with its ban of shotgun shells, H.R. 127's magazine ban would apply retroactively, affecting items already owned by millions of Americans for lawful purposes, with no compensation for owners forced to relinquish property that was lawfully obtained. HR, let's see, the next, the third point here, HR 127 would require the federal government to register some 400 million guns in the span of three months. <laughs> Good luck with that. Nothing moves that fast. Not in the, not in the public sector anyway. Um, the bill states that registration information would have to be provided to, I call it BAFTA, but it's actually BATFI, I don't know. Uh, in the case of a firearm acquired before the effective date of this section or within three months after the effective date. Uh, uh, So if you have it beforehand, you have three months to register it. If you buy it after this is law, you have three months to register it. Okay. Um... Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives would also have to create the registration system during those three months. Yeah, good luck with that, guys. Um, Because the U.S. intentionally, they put intentionally in uh, parentheses, uh, that's a parenthetical, 
does not already have a national firearms registry, it would be impossible for the government to fairly and effectively enforce this system with respect to existing gun owners. Uh, well, I don't know about that. I'm putting my tinfoil hat on right now, and I'm saying they've got one. They just aren't telling us. I, I just... I, that one's... I don't know about that one, but... Yeah, basically, they would have a registry. Um, uh, their fourth point, the firearm registry database would have to be made available to all members of the public as well as all branches of the United States Armed Forces, among others. So, uh, basically, this would facilitate private discrimination against gun owners, including in such things as employment and access to essential services such as banking, insurance, or housing. Yeah, I, I, I could see the left... Just marching on down the road with this one and and putting prohibitions in like uh, you can't get a job if you own a gun or you can't do this if you have a gun. Uh, they're already telling us that we can't do certain things if we don't get the jabs. Um, they also they go on to say it also seems to presuppose that the military, which is prohibited by law from engaging in domestic law enforcement, has some role in policing civilian firearm ownership. Awesome. That would be, uh, I, I don't, I, I mean, yeah, maybe there's some overzealous lefties in the, in the military. I mean, there could be, I mean, you got that guy that squealed on Trump for having a perfectly legal phone call and wound up trying to get him impeached. I don't remember what that, the Lieutenant Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Zinkman or Finkman or something, I don't know. Anyway. All right, number five, their fifth point. Ironically, criminals who possess firearms illegally would be self-exempt themselves from the registration requirement and under U.S. Supreme Court case law could not be required to disclose their illegal firearm possession through registration. <laughs> number six, um, H.R. 127 would retroactively criminalize firearm ownership by young adults. So, yeah, this was a key point that kind of caught my attention. They specifically said you had to be 21. Well, current law is 18 to buy a long gun. That's a shotgun or a rifle, and you have to be 21 to buy a handgun. But this is saying everybody has to be 21. But yet, young men are required to register for selective service at the age of 18. So you have 18-year-olds that are out there shooting... 50 cows, they're shooting M16s, they're shooting howitzers, mortars, grenade launchers, you name it. They're being trained on how to fire all these cool, big-ass weapons. But by God, in civilian world, he is not allowed to touch a firearm until he's 21. That is ridiculous. Uh... HR one no there's seventh point HR one twenty seven would actively discourage voluntary mental health treatment, including for combat veterans or victims of violent trauma, by permanently prohibiting the issuance of a license to anyone who quote has been hospitalized with a mental illness, disturbance, or diagnosis, including addiction to a controlled substance substance or alcohol. Now that's a if if ugh, if you have some form of PTS, whether that be through uh, active participation in a combat zone or 
uh, you're a victim of a violent crime, rape. If you seek treatment to try and get your life back in order so that you aren't constantly scared or, you know, whatever your issue may be, if you seek treatment, your therapist will be required by law to report you as having received uh, mental health treatment. And therefore, you cannot get a gun. Ugh. Uh, it also went on to say that anyone who has been hospitalized with a brain disease would also be ineligible for a license, including those suffering from brain cam cancer, epilepsy, and Parkinson's. <sighs> Their eighth point. H.R. 127 would effectively price lawful firearm ownership out of reach for many of the poorest and most vulnerable Americans. They're doing this um, because they're going to be issuing a tax masquerading as a government-issued insurance of $800 a year. <sighs> Licensed applicants and even other members of their household, as directed, would also have to undergo a psychological evaluation at their own expense. So the person buying the gun has to go through the psych eval, and their sp spouse and children would have to go through the psych eval as well. What the... And the last point here, I think it was number uh, 9, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, yeah, 9. Um, oh, they just say H.R. 127 has a long way to go before becoming a law. Um, it, like I said, it's, in, it's got zero co-sponsors, shocking. Um, and uh, that was sarcasm. And it's in the subcommittee now for uh, uh, the uh, Crime, Terrorism, and Homeland Security. It's part of the House Judiciary Committee. It just seems utterly ridiculous. All right, well, that's what I want to talk about today. So this is the... Uh, this is the Saturday episode, the first Saturday episode that's just... He who shall not be named Jackassery Minute. <laughs> so going forward, just remember, uh, Wednesdays will be uh, just a preparedness topic. <clears throat> and uh, maybe some, you know, some useful information about something that's going on uh, in the real world. But by and large, we're going to keep them separate just so it'll make it easier and we can keep the show shorter. All right. Talk to you guys later. Be good. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Mm -hmm.